0: From an undisclosed location in Boise where we figured out the key to not being called biased is to just not produce any content at all.
1: It's the Point of Personal Privilege podcast. We've done a good job of that here on this platform, but maybe not so much on the uh, other platforms.
0: We- <laughs> See, that's the thing. The more work I do for the actual day job, the more I get called biased. And the funny thing is, for the governor debate, I actually broke down the complaints that, you know, you, you were very biased against the Democratic candidate. You were very biased against the Republican candidate. I swear they were equal.
1: There was a moment on Friday because I had to be on, uh, at home matters on public radio and then on Idaho reports afterwards, where I was thinking about just saying the almost exact opposite thing on either show, just to see what happened. That
0: would be amazing, but it has been quite a while since we have done a point of personal privilege podcast.
1: It apparently once every, uh, Four years when the midterm elections come up, you get another <laughs> podcast. So stay tuned right. for twenty twenty two.
0: Right, right. We have a lot of hot takes for that twenty twenty two race. Um, yeah, so it is. We're we're one day out from the election. I saw on Twitter, election Eve is like Christmas Eve, but everything is bad.
1: Agree. That, that seems about right. And and again, we don't really know a whole lot now. I think I was telling you earlier. I think the one thing that will surprise me tomorrow is if I'm not surprised and that's that's about it. Like I'm just I'm sure that there's gonna be something surprising out there. Um the one thing that we'd know at this point is we are seeing a lot of uh early voter registration, early voter turnout. Uh we're seeing at least across the nation a lot of young folks and a lot more women show up. Um uh, it you know, it's looking like I, th- I think the Democrats have been doing seances and sacrificing cows to the elections gods for years trying to get kids to come out in a uh, University of Idaho up there because that's a district that if those kids ever showed up, hypothetically, the Democrats would have a much better chance there. And it looks like if the the kind of generic numbers that we're seeing are, are true, those kids might actually be showing up this year.
0: By the way, uh, animal sacrifices not the most effective way to get voters to turn out.
1: The election god is a jealous, vengeful god. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, you can't just do it with simple prayer.
0: All right, all right. That's an
1: Old Testament god, right there.
0: You know, you're right though. Every single every single election cycle, yeah, every two years, I'm surprised whether there are legislative surprises, and there certainly were some this year in the primary, um, or something statewide that happens. There are always surprises. And, and, you know, obviously, if I knew what the surprise would be for this Tuesday's election, it wouldn't be a surprise. But I I think that there are going to be some interesting things, both statewide and legislatively.
1: And I think this is going to be the first time in a while. I mean, this is just me talking to folks in the Democratic Party. But for lack of a better word, it sounds like they've got their hopes up this time uh it, two years ago four years ago there was kind of a pragmatic optimism that was out there like maybe we could pick up a seat there maybe we could pick up a seat on this other side but the maybe jenna jones and maybe jenna jones stuff like that but it, it it never it never felt like all of the supporters really drank the kool-aid and thought we're going to win uh this year talking to democrats there are some Kool-Aid drinkers out there. There are going to be some very disappointed folks if, let's say, Paula Jordan loses or Kristen Collum loses or Cindy Wilson loses, which I think is different and definitely a very strong possibility that you're going to see them lose.
0: Well, and I think um, we, we've we touched on this so many times in on different platforms, but Cindy Wilson absolutely has the best chance of any statewide Democrats. You know, that is an office in which Idahoans have shown a willingness to cross party lines and vote for who they feel is the best candidate. Cindy Wilson has such strong support, bipartisan support and notable bipartisan support with Frank Vandersloot, um, Jim Jones, a whole lot of people who are uh, are saying, look, I'm, I'm a Republican, I'm a lifelong Republican, but I feel like Cindy Wilson is the best chance. Frank Vandersloot is by far the most notable though. And i
1: I feel like that's a race that is outside of the larger political narrative that we're hearing right now, that this is a referendum on Trump. This is a referendum on what's kind of going on in the larger zeitgeist of politics. It's which, a
0: referendum on Idaho education.
1: Yeah, I mean, that 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 moves more towards the, the uh, kind of the saying that we've heard for much longer than any of this uh, Trump-related stuff, which is, you know— Politics is local. And I think that's one thing that I think we're going to learn again this year after we see how people voted that this, a lot of things in Idaho are not necessarily a referendum on Trump. They're a referendum on local issues. I mean, when you look at your county commissioners, sure, you might like that one of them likes Trump, but you also probably care about if a potholes to get filled in. And I think that is going to be more true at the end of the night than we think that people are not voting on Trump. They're voting on Brad Little. They're voting on Janice McGeehan. They're, you know, they're voting on these people. They're not voting on Trump.
0: Right. I I think you're right about that. Um, The the one thing where we might see that it's a referendum in some areas of the state is Medicaid expansion. You know, Medicaid expansion proposition two is going to um, be a, a big draw for a lot of people. And another one where I'm seeing people are crossing what I think political insiders saw as party lines. The Democrats have been pushing Proposition 2, or I mean Medicaid expansion rather, for a long time. Democrats are pretty much united in support of Proposition 2. Republicans are split on the issue, and a number of Republicans have come out and said that they are supporting it, while a number... Um, of notable lawmakers and the lieutenant governor candidate are saying that no, they do not think this is the right move for Idaho for a number of reasons. Do you think that's going to affect how people vote for their lawmakers, especially in places like District 15, where two of the Republican lawmakers who, uh, those Republican incumbents who are, have tough, tough races, Two of those three have come out in support of Proposition
1: 2. Well, I think that gets to kind of how compartmentalized our politics have gotten in a lot of ways because there are probably a lot of people that are still just used to voting R all the way down and are going to vote R all the way down again. But there are some that might actually take the individual position statements of a candidate into account. And then there's also some that probably might know Let's let's say um, Patrick McDonald, uh, representative from uh, District 15, right now, is supporting Medicaid expansion, and they support Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. but they also might just not like Patrick McDonald for whatever reason, and vote for Prop 2 and vote against him because I think the opponent. I would I'm taking a wild guess, but I'd assume the <laughs> Patrick McDonald's opponent is in Jake support. Jake Ellis, I'm pretty of, sure Jake Ellis you know, is in support of Proposition well. 2. Proposition
0: 2, right? Right, exactly. I I think that. Um, you know th- this might be a case of like say let's say in district 6 where mike kingsley is once again facing john rushi um and this time mike kingsley is the incumbent instead of the challenger and john rushi is trying to make a comeback kingsley is against proposition 2 john rushi has long been an advocate for medicaid expansion is that going to make a difference there um i think that one of the things that is not in John Rushi's favor is for the first time in a very long time, he is the only Democratic legislative candidate on that ticket in District 6. They did not, the Democrats didn't field candidates for those other two positions. So that I think is going to hurt Rushi's chances for for a comeback.
1: Um, and there's also an aspect of, you t- since uh, Rushi is a doctor and you tie him so close, with medical-related issues and healthcare-related issues, that if you've got Proposition 2 on the ballot, you can just vote for medicine and insurance there, and you don't necessarily have to vote for Rushi as your... Uh, Medicaid expansion person because you've already got it. So that kind of allows you to vote for Kingsley and vote for Medicaid expansion at the same time. And if you're uh, the person that likes Kingsley and likes Medicaid expansion, but we're thinking about Rushi because he was one that was going to get you Medicaid expansion, you can actually have your cake and eat it too.
0: Uh, but I wonder how many people are like, I'm a huge fan of both Kingsley, who is against Proposition 2 and Medicaid expansion. <laughs> I, I I mean, th- that that strikes me as a I I think what's more likely is that the moderates who were more likely to maybe come out um, and be willing to support a split ticket, they don't have as much momentum. Rushi doesn't have as much momentum behind him. And so people just might not, there might not be as much turnout from people who do support proposition Two And the idea of, you know, moderate Democrats and and Rushi, to be clear, is a pretty moderate Democrat uh, supporting that area.
1: But- I guess what I'm saying is you as the voter are in charge of the Medicaid expansion, not the candidates at this point. You can go out and make that vote and whether or not your candidate believes in it or not is not important at this point because so, mm-hmm. you're the one making the decision. Then that takes that issue off the table for you and you just get to look at all of their other platforms. And maybe you, you used to vote for Rushi because he was trying to expand Medicaid. Medicaid is going to be expanded with or without him. So you look at all the other Issue statements that he's made, his personality, things like that, and you make the decision off him and Kingsley rather than him and Kingsley and this Medicaid expansion. That's interesting.
0: So, so you don't think you don't think that this is going to be. Um, a referendum on lawmakers who have opposed Medicaid expansion even if Proposition 2 passes.
1: I, I think that's entirely possible and I mean that's something that we're going to have to talk to voters afterwards. I think the the common wisdom is if you're for Medicaid expansion, you're going to come out and you're going to vote for Medicaid expansion and you're also going to vote for Democrats or Republicans that also favor Medicaid expansion. Um, yes, that's what a lot of people are saying right now. I think we're going to actually have to talk to voters afterwards to find out if that's indeed what they did. I think there's there's definitely a correlation there. <laughs> I, I think we're going to have to wait a couple of days before we know if that's indeed why people voted that way.
0: Interesting. You know, you, one of the other things that I have noticed this election cycle is how much more, quite frankly, mean and personal some of the attacks have been, um, not just against candidates, but anyone involved politically. It, I don't know if it's um, the political conversation and feelings nationally, if it's just the role that social media plays that brings out the worst in people, I don't know what it is, but it's been notable.
1: And we were talking about this in a slightly different context the other day with the, the Middleton pictures that came out, um, talking about, you know, a lot of this stuff and I'm going to bring it back to politics rather right? than we just happen to be talking about in the context of the, the Middleton photos. Uh, I think a lot of these ideas and this behavior happened, since the beginning of this country, you sat in your dining room and you probably screamed it across the table and it was just the people in your household. Who got to hear this stuff? If
0: you were in Congress, you beat people with canes every once in a while, yeah,
1: like you do. Who yeah, knows? that was how you yeah. expressed your rage. And and then um, we we got the internet, and we got all these social media platforms. And
0: I like how we jumped from duels <laughs> straight to the internet. Like, none of that, like there was a civil war. <laughs> you know, <there> were- <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe duels will come back. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe flame wars on Twitter will resolve themselves in duels it's for like now. Actual
0: flame wars.
1: The, the the Twitter machines tell you like, nope, you've reached a certain level. Time for a duel. Folks, we're ending this the old-fashioned way. Please
0: don't do that. By the way, but
1: so I mean, then we get social media, and it seemed like for a while, people still like to yell across their dinner table or post that racist comment uh, in their own family. They there was some shame there, but recently, it really does seem like people just want the attention. They're going to put whatever they want out there. They think that the world needs to know exactly how they think on this thing, and.
0: They feel emboldened. Whereas
1: before there might be um, some semblance of I should be careful, but I mean, if you can get 100 clicks from a super hot take that maybe makes you look bad, maybe the 100 clicks is better.
0: So I I don't think that people necessarily feel emboldened. I think I disagree with you a little bit on that. I think that now it's just easier to share ideas and share those mean comments. Because I agree that these, that vitriol has always existed. It just, people had different avenues with which to express it. And usually only the people in power had those platforms to express their vitriol and, and their opinions. But now we all have the ability to get Twitter on our phones or our desktop, and we can all Send off emails and tell people how terrible we think they are without thinking about it twice instead of just looking at the TV and saying, oh, I think that I think this person is terrible and stupid.
1: And there has been some permission institutions that have kind of popped up around that. I mean, we we have a president that does something similar that gives you permission to kind of mimic that behavior. You also have. Friend groups that are around you that you could say something heinous, but they're going to stick up for you. And we know from how people consume news and how people consume information, you can receive 100 facts saying you did a bad thing. But if your buddy Bill or your, your friend Samantha says you're good, normally you're going to take that information in and say, no, that was fine, even though I angered all 500 of these folks. Bill and Samantha were cool with it. So I'm going to take that information in and I'm going to continue this behavior.
0: Are you telling me that I should pay attention to all of the dozen mean comments that tell me I have bad hair and I hate both Republicans and Democrats? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I think I've told
1: you to get off social media all the time. It
0: it wasn't just social media, but it was like emails and voicemails. So I'm okay just like not interacting with people in general if that's what it takes.
1: If people don't have the guts to say it to your face, I think we should just ignore it.
0: So so you are actually advocating going back to duels. <laughs> We're yeah, gonna basically. solve these face to face.
1: I am slightly on the dual train.
0: <laughs> all right, all right, the dual train. You know, it and everyone I've talked to, if they're politically involved in any way, you know, whether they're candidates or campaign staffers or volunteers or journalists, um, anything. They're just worn down right now. There there are some people certainly who feel energized and good, but there's a lot of fatigue. If you could put together a care package for an Idaho Politico, what would you put in it?
1: I guess it depends on whether or not I'm trying to hurt my competition or help them. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like what? Just a bottle of whiskey, I... <laughs> a depressing poem, and a, a note that says, why even show up tomorrow? What, what, what do we do here?
0: What? Why would you give a care package to someone you didn't like? I'm I'm just going to ask.
1: So you're you're, you're thinking about this as, the you know, for the benefit of society. I'm just thinking about this is winning. I'm trying to really channel the election attitudes of right now.
0: I am thinking as a journalist who has nothing to win, I I would put like a multivitamin because I know all y'all haven't been eating vegetables (laughs) in the last (laughs) few weeks.
1: Would you go with the gummies or the old the old fashioned vitamins?
0: Uh, The old fashioned vitamins because it forces you to drink water. And I know all of you are probably very dehydrated as well. You got (laughs) to drink your water. You got to take your multivitamin, you know, maybe, maybe get a good night's sleep.
1: Well, thanks for the <laughs> nutrition news with Melissa Dablin on the uh Papa I'm
0: trying to I'm trying to like be nice and you're all making fun of me. Gosh, <laughs> I don't need to go on social media to, Wednesday face is my the time to be nice. I don't need to go on social <laughs> media. I just need to show up hole. at work. I just need to show up at work and have Seth tell me why I'm dumb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, to be fair, I think I just yell why everyone's dumb. So <laughs> you just have to be right. caught in the crossfire a couple of times.
0: Oh, so, thanks.
1: So the one thing that I'm actually really kind of fascinated, and I don't know if we'll necessarily get an answer to this, but when when we talk about the changing face of Idaho, a lot of times, you know, we talk about Democrats moving here or conservatives moving here. Um The kind of far right up in North Idaho, that's kind of changing Republican politics there. But I was also thinking about the uh, politics of southeastern Idaho, which I I don't think a lot of people have been really discussing this election cycle, because it seems like a lot of folks in southeastern Idaho held their nose and voted for Trump. It, it doesn't seem like they right. were as enthusiastic as the folks up north.
0: Well, it's a lot of what we see right now with people saying, evangelicals nationwide saying, look, I don't expect to, I don't, I don't expect my president to also be a religious leader. I, mean, like, I vote for him because of his policies and I like where he is on the courts. You know, I do not agree with his personal life, but that's not why I'm voting for president in the first place.
1: And I think when you look at southeastern Idaho, I think their the politics might be closer to like a Mitt Romney or a Jeff Flake or someone like that. Who's right. not not exactly. I mean, they share some uh, politics with Donald Trump. I mean, they're they're not opposed to it, but they're not in lockstep in the the way in which Trump goes about doing things. They're not necessarily super excited about. So. All that being said, it'll be interesting this year where we do have a lot of candidates that are kind of trying to run as Trump, <laughs> trying to run as connected to Trump or to help Trump or Trump-related. Even though I said earlier that I think this will come down much more to a you know local race uh, in most of these situations, I think we will get to see a little bit of a referendum on whether or not those Eastern Idaho Republicans are old school Republicans or are they this new breed of Trump Republicans? Like where they're at, I think we'll be telling.
0: Well, and I think we probably saw a little bit more of that in the primary than in the general election. Right. And we, and we did see that shake out in some races. I think it was really interesting that, you know, Tom Lurcher lost his primary. Julie Van Orden lost her primary. You know, you you saw relatively, I guess, more center Republicans or traditionally conservative Republicans lose to more conservative people within their party. Uh, that's notable. I don't know if we're going to see that as much in the general election though.
1: And that's fair. We might not, but uh, I, I think there's some elements of some of these races where you might see a little bit of that come into play.
0: All right. Well, you know, looking forward, what do you expect? Because so much of our conversation has focused on what's going to happen on Tuesday. You know, what are we going to see on Tuesday? But as we've seen, these campaigns have lasting effects, you know, that reverberate in some cases for years. This is a cumulative type thing where where people are running campaigns, certainly for the November election, but those candidates and those ideas don't just magically disappear on the day after the election. Do you think that this the the energy that we're seeing behind like Prop 2 and Paulette Jordan and Kristen Collum and Cindy Wilson is going to be more energizing and have effects, say, for 2020 legislative races or 2022 statewide races.
1: I mean, I think inevitably you'll see some folks coming out up there uh, that are involved in these campaigns. I mean, take Cindy Wilson. I think she's a very good example. She, she was she, the co-chair she, of
0: the Props 123 in 2012.
1: Absolutely. And then comes around and now she's running for superintendent, superintendent now. I mean, like, I think you do see a lot of folks that are, you know, get a taste for politics, get engaged in politics that then do show up later on. As far as the general political breakdown of Idaho. I I honestly don't think it's going to change that very much. I mean, some of the faces will change, some of the names will change, but I think we're going to see the cities in metro areas drifting a little bit more democratic over the next couple of years. And I think you're going to see the rest of the state drifting a, a lot more conservative. And, and that's I think that's when a you look at the urban migra- rural divide. Yeah. And right. I think when you see the migratorial patterns, like that's what you're going to see. And I think we're going to still kind of trend to I think if I had to guess two years from now, I think Republicans will probably take some seats back that maybe Democrats won this round. And I think our state will continue kind of trending to the right.
0: That's interesting because I I can see the pendulum starting to perhaps shift. I, and this, this is by no means a prediction, but I can see a path forward where – the pendulum is starting to swing a little bit more toward the center. And so certainly not turning Idaho into a blue state within the next five years, but something a little bit more along the lines of Montana where you do have competitive races in Congress. And I don't think this is going to happen next election cycle, but in 10 years, looking at how our Metro areas are growing um, and, and if the statewide democratic party can keep this momentum going for the next several years, you know, if if they can keep these energized Paulette Jordan volunteers and and staffers around, you know, these supporters give them more reasons to keep being excited. Um, I, c- I can see a few more competitive races. So by no means turning Idaho into Oregon, but maybe a little bit more like Montana.
1: And. In- I, I think that might be a little bit more wishful thinking, and like I, I well, and, and I, it's I, not wish.
0: I'm not like. Wouldn't it be nice? That that's not what I'm. I, no, I'm not like I, that. Would be nice. I, I
1: could see these states both moving a little bit more towards the center, but like if I had if I made my best bet on what happens over the next four to eight years, I I would say the state moves a little bit more centrist, but moves a lot more Republican. And I know those things sound weird, but like but they're not I, mutually I, I don't, exclusive. I don't think they're mutually exclusive.
0: More, more like traditional conservative, like that Reagan Republican Exactly. Idea like that that's we think that's,
1: of. I could definitely see something like on those Mike lines. More Mike Simpsons. Yeah, you know, Mike Simpsons of the world coming to the Idaho Legislature. But the the other thing is, like, I could see the proposition two, the Medicaid expansion proposition, maybe having legs as far as political engagement. Um, And then obviously, if uh, Jordan wins the governorship, that'll have legs. Um, but right. I think when you see how that race was run, the race wasn't run with an, an embracing of the party. The race wasn't run as creating a political machine. The race, you know, the Democratic Party, I don't think will necessarily be any stronger afterwards, unless they can get one of these races. And I think a lot of those people do just disperse back into Idaho to advocate for their own special interests uh, that they they think are important, but don't necessarily rally around a single cause or an individual to actually create legs. I, I, but we I, might I, see
0: leaders come out of that like we did with Cindy Wilson and Props 123. I mean, we were just talking about this. It's been six years since okay. Props 123. And
1: I think that's what I'm implying. You, you will see things like that. You'll see a Cindy Wilson or something like that come out of it. But also you didn't, I mean, going into this election, it wasn't like, Cindy Wilson and the Democratic machine are coming to Idaho to win this election. Eventually, you know, Cindy Wilson kind of, you know, got her own campaign going, got her grassroots, got her folks she and then a the homegrown. She won candidate. the primary and the party embraced her. Right. It, it wasn't it wasn't like the machine which like the props one, two, and three machine that was created didn't get transposed onto the Democratic Party and then move forward as a unifying thing. It was still Kind of, as you're saying, like folks like Cindy Wilson, who had this um, support for them, but not necessarily support for the Democratic Party. Right, right. So well, I, don't, I just don't think it necessarily translates over to other candidates all that much.
0: And on the flip side, I can see that happening on the on the further right side of the Republican Party, too. I mean, they did have some significant victories this year. And depending on how things shake out with the Chad Christensen, Tom Lurcher campaign where there has been a lot of establishment money put into saving Tom Lurcher, you know, after he already lost his primary to Chad Christensen, uh, you know, who has the support of Brent Crane. Um
1: wait, which Chad Christensen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Chad Christensen who actually ran against Tom Lurcher. Um but but you, you know, they the the Julie Van Orden, um I think Juliana oh I can't remember her last name. But but I, th- there have been victories for that part of the Republican Party um and and that ideology in the last several years and if you know the freedom foundation is successful in in and to be clear they have been the main people against proposition 2 if they're successful in that going down i think that's going to be very empowering for uh, the more the more conservative idahoans
1: and i and I, I think for them there's Kind of a lesson in what you see out of like a Heather Scott, um, because if we go back two years, there was a lot of um, wins for that Freedom Foundation group of folks, that Libertarian group of folks. But then some of them did come back and lose. <laughs> two that years Carrie, from now. Carrie Hanks, for example, yeah, I mean, lost this year. And I, I think with strangely, this is you know when the you know you go far enough left and right, and you get to the same point. I think a lot of people who are voting for you know, libertarian-minded candidates in a lot of areas and Democratic candidates in a lot of areas are voting because they really don't like what the state of Idaho looks like right now. They really don't like how the government's ran. And when you vote for that and you're sending just one individual to the legislature, well, the legislature doesn't move on what one individual says, unless maybe that person is the governor. And even then, not always. As we've seen, not really. So it does set you up with the situation of you vote for that person, you want that change, two years, four years, six years passes, and you still haven't gotten that change. And And then you start voting those people out and finding the new person that's going to make some change. Whereas I think a lot of the... The folks that you've seen consistently voted in, the ideology that you've seen consistently voted in in Idaho is closer to that kind of mainstream republicanism that I've talked about. And those people go and they stay there. I mean, like I'm saying, there are exceptions to that. I mean, like if I was a liberty minded conservative running for office i would go up to northern idaho and ask heather scott what she's doing because she's she's doing exactly what her constituents want they keep sending her back
0: absolutely you know, absolutely
1: like, i mean there's, there's lessons out there but i'm not necessarily sure what they are Well,
0: and, and that's just it maybe you know when we're looking at idaho statewide maybe we're just looking too hard for a narrative and looking too hard for this unifying thing the, the what happened because as we said So much of these races are hyper local. So many of them have everything to do with what's going on in their community and those specific candidates in the first place. And so maybe, maybe there are no lessons. Maybe we are just passengers on this ride and we'll find out what the destination is when we get there.
1: With that new age thinking and vitamin advice, I think, I think we're good to go. Where can the people find us, (laughs) Mosa?
0: They can, they can find us. (laughs) <laughs> eating healthy, <laughs> drinking lots of water, getting some naps, getting some exercise.
1: Do we still even own half of our platforms? It's been a while.
0: I actually got the I actually got the notification that I have to renew the website tomorrow. So Papapod.com. You can also find us on Facebook, search for point of personal privilege podcast. I have no idea if we're still on iTunes, but we'll find out.
1: No wonder you wanted to do a pod. <laughs> we get the bill.
0: No, that's exactly it. It was like, oh, if I'm gonna be paying for this website, let's do a pod, Seth. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye.